And as you sit, I invite you to turn with me once again to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. We continue to make our way through the epistle this evening. We are going to be considering verses 4 through 11. 4 through 11. Join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, this is your holy word that we are about to consider. We come before it uh, thankful, joyful that there is truth therein. We pray that you would open our eyes and our understanding to receive that truth. We pray for your spirit's work in our hearts this evening. We do pray that you would open your word to our hearts and open our hearts to your word. May the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, Second Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Here now, the holy, the inspired, the inerrant, and infallible Word of God, written for you and for me today. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved in Christ Jesus, we are all servants. We're all servants, and so whom will we serve? This is a crucial question for us as Christians. For as Christ calls and requires exclusive allegiance and obedience to him, as he calls us to follow him and no one else, the false teachers of our world seek to counter that with oh-so-alluring tales and promises to draw us away from Jesus and to draw us away from his body in the local church and to skip also blindly after the Pied Piper. Now, Peter, through divine inspiration of the Spirit, has been very helpful to us, hasn't he? As he exposes the true nature and the consequences of the teachings of the false teachers. He calls them out for what they are. 
And what are they? They are heresy. They're destructive. They're divisive. Any teacher in teaching that seeks to draw you and your family away from Christ and the truth of his person, his character, his work, his resurrection, his coming return, etc., is straight from the pit of hell. And hear that tonight. For these teachers are craftily devising lies of Satan, delivered by his children with one purpose, and that was to seduce and to deceive, to steal and to destroy. And so we must never forget this as we prayerfully strive to be watchful and sober, as we seek to become expertly skilled soldiers of Christ, as we grow in the spirit, brought knowledge of Jesus and his word. We will be better able to sniff out and to guard against those ever so sneaky intruders. And as I mentioned last week, though they may sneak in alone, they have zero desire to leave alone. As they sneak in alone, they have zero desire to leave alone. They want to garnish a following. They want to divide the flock in order to make the body fall apart and, and more easily consume some of the sheep. And yet our Lord knows these things. He knows their motives and plans. And in his providence, God allows their entry that he may receive glory as he sanctifies us and grows our guard and alertness. As he draws us to himself, as he bolsters and strengthens our response in drawing closer to him, in dealing with them, and repelling them with the truth. That only makes us stronger in Christ, that his body may remain pure and united and undefiled. Unless we become discouraged about such teachers and their stuff, or their persuasiveness and success, God also comforts us, doesn't he? He comforts us with Peter's words, regarding swift judgment and destruction that will come upon them. And to help us better understand and praise God for his justice, Peter goes on to give us examples of divine judgment and deliverance. That we would be edified and that we would be built up in our most holy faith and that we would trust in him more and more. And so tonight, let's consider the divine judgment and deliverance in the past that Peter shows us in verses 4 through 8. Divine judgment and deliverance in the present in verse 9. And the might and the might and acts of angels in verses 10 and 11. So as Peter takes our thoughts to the past, notice that he gives us three illustrations regarding one, angels, Two, Noah, and then thirdly, also, Lot. Now, some scholars have debated whether Peter's reference to angels here is in reference to the people in Noah's day, in Peter's second illustration, or to fallen angels. I agree with Calvin and Henry and others who believe that Peter is referring to fallen angels, and this is where Peter begins. Look at first 4a. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned. We're going to see this not sparing language uh, several times here, right? And notice this language that he uses regarding God's not sparing 
the angels to sin. Now, to better understand this, let's consider more of what God teaches us about angels and their sin in Scripture. And to help us with that, Westminster Larger Catechism, question 16, asks this question. How did God create angels? And the answer is, God created all the angels' spirits, immortal, holy, excelling in knowledge, mighty in power, to execute his commandments and to praise his name, yet subject to change. And how do we know that this is true? Well, in Matthew 25, verse 31, we read, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And so we see that as God created angels, he did create them holy. We're going to talk about elect angels and fallen angels here briefly in a moment, but... Psalm 103, verses 20 and 21 say this. Bless the Lord, you, his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you, his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. And so we see the, the wonderful, different kind of beings that God created angels to be in, in service and in worship. To him. And yet angels aren't God's special creation. God reserved us, man, to be his special creation. He created us in his image, endued with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. And yet see that verse 4 here is the proof text for God's creating angels similar to man with the ability to sin. Also in Westminster Larger Catechism, question 19, it goes on to teach us what God permitted some angels to do. The question is, what is God's providence toward the angels? The answer, God by his providence permitted some of the angels willfully and irrecoverably, notice, to fall into sin and damnation, limiting and ordering that and all their sins to his own glory. And establish the rest in holiness and happiness, employing them all at his pleasure in the administrations of his power, mercy, and justice. Again, we see here those angels who fell, those angels who sinned, and their sin was willful and it's irrecoverable. But we also see those who are established in holiness and happiness. And again, where do we see this from the scripture? Well, the Apostle Jude teaches us this in Jude chapter, in Jude, excuse me, verse 6. And by the way, uh, as I've mentioned before, but I'll mention it briefly again, that 2 Peter here, right, was influenced, many scholars would, would say, uh, by Jude, right? So we see a lot of similarity between Jude's words and Peter's words here in 2 Peter. So you're going to see me go and, and reference Jude a few times here in this message. But Jude teaches us in Jude 6, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness 
for the judgment of the great day. Now notice that though the angels are marvelous beings who enjoyed the excellencies of heaven, some, due to their fall, would tragically experience the great darkness and doom of their torment. And again, Peter also teaches us that this is true as he speaks of God not sparing angels. He didn't do anything to keep them from sinning. He permitted some to do so and then responded with judgment to their sin. Look at verse 4b, second half of 4. But cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So know also that God's sovereign will and in his sovereign will, he didn't ordain for angels that sin to be redeemed. In other words, there are no elect angels among the fallen. Think about it. God cast them to hell in spite of their superiority, in spite of their surroundings, in spite of their service to God. These were angels from heaven who had been surrounded by holy things, face to face, in the presence of the holy God. But God cast them literally into Tartarus or the abyss. For nothing that is defiled can be in or enter the kingdom of heaven. The holy God cast them out and put them in chains of darkness and reserved them for judgment on the last day. Such a really drastic, a, a radical shift and a change from heaven to hell because of their sin. But so what does Peter mean here? What time is in view regarding God casting the angels in the abyss and binding them? Aren't fallen angels or, or demons active today? And those are good questions. These are words where, in part, we go where Scripture goes and stop where Scripture stops. God casting does appear to be in the past, as Peter frames this in the past tense and groups this as the first of three examples from the Old Testament. But beyond this, there is an aspect of mystery. Yes, fallen angels or demons are, are alive and are, excuse me, are active today. And as sin binds men and angels over to punishment, so misery and torment hold men and angels under punishment. The darkness, which is their misery, keeps them so that they can't get away from their torment. But notice here that Peter goes on in his second example of Noah in verse 5. Again, we see the not spare language. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Now, notice again who God didn't spare. He didn't spare the ancient world, the people in Noah's day. God didn't spare them, but saved Noah and his family. See this because this is a consistent theme and a message in this passage. Judgment and deliverance. Judgment and deliverance. Salvation here through the waters of judgment. 
Now knowing that terrible and all-consuming judgment was coming upon sinners, what did Noah do? See how Peter reveals to us and teaches us something that Moses didn't, namely that Noah was a quote-unquote preacher of righteousness. Now what does this mean? Well, we see uh, Noah being referred to in Genesis 6, right, as a, a just man, as one who was blameless, as one who proclaimed the truth, and he indeed, as a type of Christ, he preached the truth to the godless people of his day. Right? He called them to turn. But yet we know what happened, don't we? The people didn't listen. And so their bodies were killed in the flood, and their spirits are today in hell. My friends, hell is God's prison for those who die in disbelief. Righteous, divine judgment, and again, merciful deliverance and salvation. As the waters of the flood destroyed the wicked, God used those same waters to save Noah and his family from this evil world. And now in his third illustration, Peter reminds us of Lot. And this is helpful in verse 6. He says, In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And we know from the account regarding Sodom and Gomorrah of how lawless their deeds were. How depraved, depraved and debauched they were. How uh, immoral and wicked they were. As there were homosexuality, homosexuality was rampant and sexual immorality all over the place. And aggressively, pervasively so. In many ways, we see such type of aggression as was depicted and described in Lot's day in Sodom and Gomorrah, even in our day today, and risingly so. But Sodom and Gomorrah were the recipients of God's wrath, his condemnation, and destruction by fire, leveled to ash and rubble. That they would what? What does Peter say? That they would be an example to future sinners regarding the holiness and justice of the living God. And Jude presses the eternal consequence of their sin in Jude 7 as Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, Jude says, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You see that this is their consequence. This was God's judgment for their wickedness and their sin. The eternal consequence. And so yet again, what do we see? Judgment and deliverance in this third example. Peter tells us of Lot's status in God's eyes. He was righteous, saved by faith. 
Here's Noah, preacher of righteousness. Here is righteous Lot. Lot was subject to oppression by the wicked in those wicked cities. As Lot was pressed and tormented to both see and hear them engaging in the acts of their sin. And so God delivered Lot before he destroyed those cities. But as we see these examples, beloved, oh, how these examples should draw us to, to joyfully consider God's merciful sparing of you and of me. His delivering you from his fierce, fierce wrath that was justly due upon you because of your sin. Consider the wrath that the Father poured out on his Son because of our sins that were placed on him. Consider the wrath that is yet to come upon those who do not repent and turn to Christ in true faith. For those who are apart from Christ. And Peter goes on to speak of this as he teaches us of that this divine judgment, and if this divine judgment and rescue was evident in the past, then what would be true in the present and the future? Take special note of Peter's words, that God knows how to deliver the, to deliver the godly out of temptation. And let this truth sink in deeply tonight. For God's knowledge of how to, coupled with his ability to do it, bring wonderful certainty and comfort to our hearts, especially as we wrestle with and we battle with the influences and the wiles of false teachers and their destructive doctrines. This is the point that Peter is making. He's bringing Old Testament example, Old Testament example of God's work, both in judgment and deliverance. And he's saying, even now, know what he knows and how he will deliver, even how he will bring judgment in the present time. And considering his words in the context in the, in the uh, first few verses that we considered last week, this again is a great comfort. Remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 through 13, where he says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear. So as God has shown us that he will severely punish the wicked and deliver the righteous out of danger, both the judgment of false teachers and the salvation of believers are certain. And speaking of the punishment that will come upon the wicked, Notice what he speaks to in regard what Peter speaks to in regards to the corruption of the false teachers in these last few verses in 10 and 11. In verse 10 he says, And especially those who walk according to the flesh, in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, they're self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Now yet again, let's compare here Peter's words with Jude. In Jude 8-11, through 11, where Jude said, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, 
speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of, Mo of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So my friends, these, these false teachers despise authority. They refused to honor and to submit to it. They weren't afraid of speaking evil of dignitaries, as Peter used in that language, or fallen angels. They were warned of the danger of falling into the power of evil spiritual forces. But instead of listening, they mocked the power of Satan and his minions. And so as we consider these words, as we consider these examples, as we consider the doom of the false teachers and the blessedness of the Lord's work for us, how should we be even further blessed by this word here tonight? Well, as much as it is important to and helpful to be able to identify false teachers and know the destructive reality and nature of their teachings, it's also important and comforting to know their end and ours. Leave here tonight with a, a clearer and lasting view of the corruption of the false teachers. Yes, they despise authority, especially within the church. They mock what they don't know to their harm and shame, encouraging others to do the same. And this is further evidence of how a flippant attitude towards Satan and his power is also spiritually dangerous. But yet see and be encouraged by God's decisive action in the three examples that Peter gives us. Our gracious Lord gives us sight and discernment to speak to, to preach against, and to call out those who are in sin. Whereas false teachers will be eternally punished for their crimes against God and his people, though we are equally dreadful sinners, we are the recipients of God's mercy and deliverance. We have been delivered in Christ and will be found in him on that last day. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray.